0: Well, I uh, counted a total privilege and an honor to be a part of a uh, a graduation ceremony like this. But like I promised, you know, the Lord, I said, if you want to call me into the ministry, you need to make sure that I can have fun and that I don't get in any trouble for it. So if I could take a few moments to have a little bit of fun and not get in any trouble for it, I'd like to share a joke with you. I I, uh, uh, shared a little bit this morning about how my my wife is blonde. And, uh, you know, so we've grown up, you know, always... Being together, we celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary here this past August. And so I grew up hearing, you know, in terms of my relationship with her, blonde jokes. And so I have to come up with the equalizer blonde jokes, you know, for the the other side of that coin. So I'm going to do for you the blonde man joke. Okay? The blonde... There were three men. Everybody say three. Three. A brunette, a redhead, and a blonde. (laughs) And they all worked for the construction company, and they were welders. And so they're up, oh, maybe 14 floors, you know, and they're welding away, and they all sat down on the edge of the building with their lunch pails together. And the, you know, brunette guy, he opens up his lunch bucket, and he goes, Another ham sandwich? I can't believe I have another ham sandwich. If I get one more ham sandwich, I'm just going to jump off this building. So the red-headed guy, you know, he's sitting right next to him. and He opens up, you know, his lunch box, and he goes, another turkey sandwich? I can't believe I have another turkey sandwich. If I get one more turkey sandwich, I'm just going to jump off this building. Well, the blonde fella, you know, he's sitting there, and he opens up his lunchbox, and he goes, another bologna sandwich? I can't believe I have another bologna sandwich. If I get one more bologna sandwich, I'm just going to jump off this building. So the next day, you know, the all three of them are Back to work. They're up there, you know, on that 14th, 16th floor, and they're welding away. And they sit down for lunch together. And sure enough, the brunette man opens up his lunchbox. He goes, oh, "Another ham sandwich. Why did I have to get another ham sandwich?" Ah! He jumps off the building, sounding just like that child right there. <laughs> The red-headed man, he's sitting right next to him, you know. He opens up his lunchbox. He goes, ah, why did I have to get another turkey sandwich? Ah, he jumps off the building. The blonde man, he's sitting there, you know, and he opens up his lunchbox. and, ah, why did I have to get another bologna sandwich? I can't believe I got another bologna sandwich. Ah, and he jumps off the building. Well, after several days, all three of their wives were together and the brunette man's wife goes, why didn't he tell me he didn't like ham sandwiches? All he had to done was told me he didn't like ham sandwiches. I'd have never made him another ham sandwich. And the redheaded man's wife, she's sitting there and she's like, why didn't he... T- tell me he didn't like turkey sandwiches. He never told me he didn't like turkey sandwiches. All he'd have had to done was tell me he didn't like turkey sandwiches. I'd have never made him another turkey sandwich. The blonde man's wife is sitting there. She's real quiet for a minute. She goes, Don't look at me. He made his own sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> How do you forget something like that, you know? (laughs) Turn with me in your Bibles (laughs) to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to read to you from the American Standard Version. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of disease and all manner of sickness. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were distressed and scattered as sheep not having a shepherd. That's where our culture is right now. He goes on to say, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest indeed is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he send forth laborers... Into his harvest. I grew up in the Lutheran church and they say that when Martin Luther was convinced that the biblical way of salvation was by God's grace through a man's faith in his son Jesus Christ that he began to earnestly preach and contend for that faith that God had given him a revelation of but he had another friend who was also convinced of that truth. And they made a pact together that Martin Luther would go out into the harvest fields and preach. And his friend would stay back at the monastery and pray for Luther. And so Martin Luther would come back to the monastery and share the trials and the difficulties that he was encountering while preaching the revelation God had given to him. And his friend would pray harder and even more for Martin Luther. Then one day, while in prayer, his friend had a vision or a dream, and he saw a giant harvest field. And while he continued to pray, he saw one lone figure out in that harvest field. And as he continued to pray, he came close upon that figure and saw the one lone figure in the harvest field was his friend, Martin Luther. The next day he contacted Luther and he told him that God had made it very clear to him in a dream that he was to join him in that work, in that harvest field, for it was not just enough for him to pray. He must go as well. All of you tonight, especially you who are graduating, are learning a very special lesson and that is that God has a place for you in his harvest field. About 15 years ago, my wife and I were visiting a family friend and I knew that he had been very ill for a while and uh, as we came into the house, he shook my hand at the door and immediately ushered me into a side room. You know, you'd call it a visitor's room or a guest room or a you know, and so as I went into that room, he sat down in a high wingback chair. And he had a little footstool in front of him and then another chair across. And he had me sit down in that other chair. And he started up a conversation, you know, and we began to talk. Have you ever communicated with somebody and you're just thinking the conversation is going to be rather general? But then it just gets very specific, very detailed and very deep. He starts to talk to me about the scriptures And the further he went, the more profound he became. Have you ever read in the scripture where it said they marveled at those who had been with Jesus? As I sat and listened to this man talk about the scriptures, I marveled at how knowledgeable he was. I didn't expect that. He was all yellow with jaundice. He lived less than two years after this night. And after he had discussed the Bible with me, he reached out and took my hand and looked me right in the eye with horror in his face as he said these words, I never obeyed God. In 25 years of ministry, I've had that happen twice. Two people tell me with horror in their faces, I never obeyed God. I heard someone say once that the most important discovery any human being can ever make is why you were born. And so I want to encourage you here tonight is to begin to allow this year, 2010, to be the year that God has the right to totally dominate your life. In Jeremiah chapter 29, if you want to turn there for just a moment... Let's notice something together. He says in verse 11, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. He said, They're thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. He says, Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me, and you shall find me, when you shall search for me with all of your heart see, dear friends, the plan of God doesn't just drop on us like ripe fruit does off from a tree. Many times we have to posi- position ourselves to understand and follow what that plan is. Sometimes you have to come to a place of total quietness and get all of the distractions out of your life. Sometimes you may need to ask for forgiveness or to repent. God, I'm so sorry. I never listened to you. Sometimes, you know, maybe you need to release some people out of your life. I know in my case when I first accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior, I had no influences in my associations, environment or friendships that had any idea of what it meant to be a Christian. And at that point in my life, I realized I have to let all of my friends go. And I did. You say, was that an easy decision to make? No, it was one of the most difficult decisions I ever made. We lived in a small community, under 300 people. And I would have have people walk down Main Street and go across the street to walk on the other side of the street so they wouldn't have to pass me on the sidewalk. But I was on fire for God. And it didn't matter because I knew that what had happened in my life was what I would always searched for. So sometimes there are those that you have to release. And today I'm grateful to say the Lord has brought so many wonderful friends into my life all over the world. Things I could have never imagined and that I am truly grateful for. But sometimes you reach that place where you just don't know what to do. And it's at those times you simply fall on your knees. It's like one old writer said, The devil smiles when we make plans. He laughs when we get really busy. But he trembles when we get on our knees and pray. So I want to ask you tonight, graduates, What would hold you back? What would hold you back from literally dedicating your life to what you were born to do? Sometimes we make very, very simple excuses about things. Sometimes they're relatively clever. How many of you have ever heard of Daniel Webster, the author of Webster's Dictionary? When he was a young boy, his older brother Ezekiel, and and he were asked by his father to complete a particular task while his dad went away, you know, to get some supplies for the family. And when his father returned home, he saw that none of the things he'd asked the two boys to do were done. So he looked at Ezekiel and he said, Ezekiel, what have you been doing while I was away? He said, nothing, sir. So then he looked at Daniel and he said, Daniel, what have you been doing? Helping Zeke, sir. (laughs) 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 <laughs> you know, it's amazing some of the reasons we can come up with For not doing what God's asked us to do But you know, God's heard them all As we come down through the pages of scripture We find a young man named Jeremiah Where the Lord asked him in the, in the fourth verse And in the fifth verse He says, before I formed you in the belly I knew you, Jeremiah chapter, chapter 1 And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you, and I have appointed you a prophet unto the nations. And he said, Ah, Lord. He said, I don't know how to speak, for I am a child. God, I'm too young. I can't obey you. I can't do that. I'm too young. And sometimes the Lord has to not just correct us. Sometimes he has to correct what we say. And sometimes he not just has to correct us on what we say. Sometimes he has to correct us for what we say about ourselves. We use the expression sometimes we can be our own worst enemies. And here God from heaven speaks to a young man named Jeremiah. And he says, don't say you're a child. He said, for whoever I send you, you shall go. And whatsoever I command you, you shall speak. Others, you know, maybe you face the opinions, you know, of of people in your, you know, sphere of influence because they might think you're too young. I know what it's like to be a young man stepping into the ministry and looking out at an audience and facing the stares of people saying, what have you got? (laughs) You know, let's see what you've got to say. And apparently in the New Testament, way back in the Apostle Paul's day, Timothy felt the same way. For in the fourth verse, I'm sorry, the twelfth verse of the fourth chapter of 1 Timothy, Paul exhorts this young man in the ministry and says, Timothy, don't let anyone despise how young you are. He said, just be an example. Be an example to those who believe in what you say. Be an example to those who believe in how you live your life. Be an example to those you believe in how you walk in love. Be an example to those you believe in how you walk by faith. And he says, Be an example to those you believe in how pure you are before me. So sometimes we'll say, Lord, I'm too young. I just cannot do that. Well, then there's the other side of that proverbial coin, those who say, Well, I'm too old. Sarah felt that way. Back in the 18th chapter of Genesis... For the Lord spoke to her husband and said, Your wife's going to have a son. And it said, Sarah laughing to herself said, Now that I'm old, am I still to have pleasure? My husband's also old. She didn't even think she's old. She looking at the old man standing next to her. (laughs) God, I'm not even old. He's older than me. (laughs) And the Lord said, Why is Sarah laughing? And why is she saying, is it possible for me being old to give birth to a child? He said, is there any wonder which the Lord is not able to do? At the time I said in the spring, I will come back and Sarah will have a child. I call those God days. Days where God just shows up and does what God says God's going to do. I love those days. Both Sarah and Abraham found out you're never too old to do what the Lord has asked you to do. Some say, well, I just don't have much ability left to give to the Lord in my advanced years. Others will say, well, you know, I've, I've done my time. <laughs> I've served the Lord, you know, now it's time to retire. It's time to relax, live life for myself. Like I shared so many times, sometimes we're far more human than we ought to be. Oh yeah your purpose may have changed And your season may have changed But never forget baby it ain't over Till it's over <laughs> Well what's that other fella The Lord had to track him down He, he heard at a young age he, The Bible says it came into his heart He was to be a deliverer of the nation of Israel a man named Moses Made a terrible mistake Didn't follow the plan as you know you might say He ends up 40 years wandering in the desert. And God has to supernaturally get his attention. Lights a bush on fire. How'd you like to be stumbling? Looky, looky, the bush is on fire. (laughs) You know, and he looks over at the bush. And I mean, God just lets him walk all around that thing until he turned his attention to the bush. The moment he turned his attention to the bush, the Lord spoke, Moses, and began to share with him something he probably hadn't spoken to him in 40 years. Some say, well, I wish the Lord would speak to me like that. I heard a wise minister of the gospel say many years ago, these type of encounters and these type of experiences are very rare. And he said many times they'll happen once, maybe twice in a person's entire lifetime. And usually when they happen... They come as a result of a person who either is about to make a terrible mistake in their life or there's hard times ahead. I'm like, Lord, don't speak to me like that. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. So Moses comes here in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10 and he says, Lord, I'm not a man of words. I've never been like that. He said... After what you've said to me It's hard for me to talk to people You ever thought that way Lord I can't get up in front of people and talk That's Moses I can't do that Lord And the Lord said just go I'll be with your mouth And I'll teach you what to say I'm so grateful over the years The Lord is faithful To teach you what you ought to say Moses gave God so many excuses One right after another Why he couldn't do what he was being asked to do And you know what? God in His kind way didn't accept one of them. (laughs) Well, then we come over to, you know, the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. Here's the children of Israel. Yeah, but Lord, I just got so much going on in my life. There's just so much happening. I'm so busy. There's so many things going on. They were facing stoning and persecution and being thrown in jail. You know what it said? They went everywhere proclaiming Jesus. Or what about Gideon? remember him Judges chapter 6 the angel of the Lord came to him he's under the tree threshing grain so the Midianites couldn't see him in his mind he was a total coward 12th verse the angel of the Lord came before him and said the Lord is with you O man of war talk about a paradigm shift (laughs) in your thinking I, I think I'm a coward God calls me a man of war Sometimes the Lord looks through eyes differently than we do, doesn't he? And it said, Gideon said to him, Oh, Lord, if you're with us, maybe some of you have thought this way. Why are all these things happening to us? Where are all the works of your power? You know, he says, which our fathers have talked about. They talk about how powerful you are. How come all these bad things are happening to us, Lord? If you want me to do this, why is all this bad stuff happening? He said, didn't you take us out of Egypt, but now you've given us up and handed us over to the power of Midian? And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have. Have I not sent you? I learned a long time ago that God doesn't ask me for what I don't have. But he does ask me for what I do have. And he said to him, Lord, how could I be the Savior of Israel? He said, my family's the poorest in Manasseh And I'm the least in my father's house And the Lord said to him, truly I will be with you And I will overcome the Midianites as if they were one man It's fascinating God used a boy to kill a giant Do you know why? Because he was available Here's a young boy up in the mountains named David Playing his harp, I don't know love you, Lord. And God saw the direction of that young boy's heart that it was towards him. And he spoke to the prophet Samuel, said, Go to the house of Jesse and anoint one of his sons to be king. Jesse gets to the house and says, Where are your boys? David's father called in every son but him. His own father didn't believe in him. Samuel looks at Eliab. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. The Lord said, don't look on the height of his stature. Don't look on his countenance, for I have refused him. You see, something in that dear man's heart had turned away from heaven, and God knew it. And David's on the mountain with a heart. The, the, the compass of his heart was totally focused toward God. And he goes through all the boys and it's none of them. And he said, do you have any others? Any other boys? Well, you know, the youngest, he's out there in the mountains. He said, will not sit down till he come in here. And the moment this young man whose heart was, the compass of his heart was focused toward heaven, walked in the room. God said, rise and anoint him. For this is he. We have another young man whose father and brothers didn't believe in him. A man named Joseph faced tremendous opposition. And yet he kept the compass of his heart tuned toward heaven. Kept the compass of his heart tuned toward God. And one day God used that young man to save an entire nation. Why? Because he was available. Jesus called 12 uneducated and unsophisticated men to change the world. I love this passage of Scripture, Acts 4.13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. (laughs) How'd you like that to be your testimony? Yeah, there's all those unlearned and ignorant people over there at Life Church. (laughs) But boy, they're reaching the world! amazing. God called a religious terrorist named Saul of Tarsus to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Why? Because he was available. He's on horseback. You know, sees a bright light and hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the prick. The only example of a Christian Saul scene seen was Stephen. And he watched Stephen die for his faith. And it messed with Saul. That's hard for you to deal with that, isn't it, Saul? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. And immediately, Saul bows his heart and points the compass of his heart toward heaven and said, what would you have me to do? And he said, rise and go into the city and it shall be told you. And as you study this man, Saul of Tarsus, who eventually became the Apostle Paul, you read through his writings, particularly to the church at Philippi. In essence, he says this, God, you have my life. I gave it to you on the road to Damascus. Now I want to know why. And he spent his lifetime with his heart focused on heaven. And pursuing what God had asked him to do. And ultimately in the end he said, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. God chose his own son, the Messiah, to be born in a little town to a girl who had never been married just because she was available. Are you available tonight? I don't know how many times over the last several years I'll have encounters I know flying at 35,000 feet Boy named Ronnie Sitting right next to me on the plane So he's just sitting there Just strikes up a conversation Starts talking I'll say were you tired Oh yeah I was tired 17 year old boy sitting next to me and he Just starts striking up a conversation So just start talking to him he starts sharing how he's on his way to Amsterdam to party with his friends. Then he shares how two of his best friends were killed in a—they were drag racing down the back streets of Oklahoma—and he came upon the scene and found his buddy dead in the car. He's like, he's like, man, he wouldn't move. I said, Ronnie, there's a whole lot more to life than driving fast cars and watching your friends die. And at 35,000 feet. The Lord said, pray for him. I said, now? You ever have an argument with the Lord? <laughs> now? And so I looked at him. I said, Ronnie, I said, um, can I pray for you? And he goes, yeah. And when I stuck my hand out, it's hard for me to describe what happened to It's like some unseen force slapped him right into the side of the airplane. Bam! And I'm sitting there going, Whoa. <laughs> I saw a young man get born again at 35,000 feet, supernaturally. He goes, man, everything's so different. He goes, what am I going to do when I get to Amsterdam? (laughs) I said, Ronnie, I said, "Um, you're going to want to listen to your heart now. I said, especially when you get to Amsterdam, because I said it may save your life. Do you know who texts me while he's sitting in school? In Muskogee, Oklahoma. Ronnie. Hi, Mr. Berg. How are you today? I think I feel like committing suicide. Oh, Ronnie, why are you thinking like that? All in text. Well, I had this happen. I had that happen. And I'll just give him wisdom, being a dad and just being a man. Thanks, Mr. Berg. I don't believe I'll do that now. You know, I could have blown Ronnie off as easy as it could be. 17-year-old boy at 35,000 feet, you're tired sitting on a plane, you just want to go home. Are you available? I know what it's like to walk a, 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 around the bulkhead of an aircraft and you look and you know. It's almost like you have a M.I.N.I., mini vision. I'm going to sit right there, right next to that fellow. <laughs> <laughs> the man with the green flames tattooed on the side of his face. And sure enough, that's my seat. <laughs> right next to the fellow with green flames. Sits down. He's got a nine-month-old boy sitting in his lap. Introduce myself. Very nice young man. Probably early 20s. I said, hey, dude, you got an awful lot of ink on you. What do you do for a living? He goes, well, I'm a body piercer by trade. But he said I do tattoo work on the side. He said, I'm actually tattooed on 85% of my body. He said, I've, on this side of my body, he said, I've got my whole life history tattooed. He said, on this side of my body, he said, I've just got different artwork, you know, that I've come up with. And then he had the big hole earrings. You ever see the big hole earrings? The real big big hole earrings? And so I'm sitting there talking to this guy, and I said, man, I said, that ink doesn't mess with me, but those holes in your ears are freaking me out. <laughs> so he proceeds to talk to me about how you get those big holes in your ears and he shared how as a young boy he's from California in a uh, community where there's a penitentiary and how he said he had a job at a grocery store and his boss kicked him out and he said the owner of a tattoo parlor took him in as his own son and taught him a trade. And I got to sit at thirty five thousand feet and just sit and share about Christ with this young man. Why? Just available. Are you available? I remember a gentleman that I hadn't known, I hadn't talked to in twenty years. We went to high school together. <clears throat> and um, I called his mother up. I said, Hey, where's Mike? She goes, well, he lives in such and such a city. I said, you've got to be kidding me. He lives 10 minutes from my house. I haven't seen this guy in 20 years. And so I, I call him up. She gave me his telephone number, so I call him up. and We carry on a conversation. He says, where do you live? I told him, he you only live 10 minutes away. I said, I know. I said, let's get our families together. He's got four boys all under the age of 12. I had, have, I have three at that time. They were all under the age of 13. And so we went over to Mike's house. And when I walked in the door, Mike had hair down here. Absolutely wild looking. I had pursued rock and roll as a career when I first got out of high school. He had pursued broadcasting. He became a very successful disc jockey and was one of the top DJs in Kentucky back in the early 1980s. So you go in his office and all of these you know, what you'd say, icon, rock and roll stars from the 80s. He knows them all personally. And so we're talking, and somewhere in the course of the conversation, I said, Mike, I said, can I share something with you? I said, you've probably heard all kinds of stories about what happened to me. I said, can I share my story with you? So I talked to him about how I got born again and why the course of my life changed in the way that it did. I said, Mike, I want you to turn with me to the 6th chapter of Matthew and let's look at something together. And I walked him through the 6th chapter of Matthew. Had no idea why I felt impressed to go there. Sometimes it pays to follow your heart, doesn't it? I didn't talk to <clears throat> Mike again for about 30 days. and He goes, Dean, he said, I've lived in the 6th chapter of Matthew for the last month. I said, what's going on, Mike? And he shared with me how his wife and him were having what I call intense fellowship. And it had gotten out of control. She was starting to hang out at the bars and get wisdom from other women hanging out at the bars as far as how she should treat her husband. And he was really struggling with this. And so here I am in the ministry, you know, and just constantly trying to follow up with Mike. Then the unthinkable happens His wife's driving home from the bar And drunk Crashes into a tree and is killed He's got four boys all on the age of 12 Now I have to give you an an idea Of where this guy was at How he thought about the church And how he thought about Christianity Because he'd call me up on the phone And talk to me while he's thinking this way He'd drive by, you know, the flashing signs outside, praise God, smile, Jesus loves you, happy Easter. He would drive by signs like that and scream, stop shouting at me! That's how he felt. That's where he was at. And so I asked him, you know, over the process of time, I'll carry the story out a little bit. I said, Mike, I said, what's the difference? I said, why are you sitting here listening to me share my story with you share these scriptures with you if that's how you think listen to what he said I've never had anybody ever say this the greatest compliment anybody could have ever given me he said yeah but you don't judge people well I said of course not who am I to judge you I don't know you well enough to judge you well today Mike is born again today Mike is filled with the Holy Ghost Today, Mike is radically on fire for God. Today, Mike has underground internet radio stations. And he told me, he said, Dean, I am reaching people nobody wants to touch. You never know who you're going to influence if you're just available. Are you available? In 1989, in the U.S. News and World Report, they said that in the average lifetime of an American, we will spend six months sitting at stoplights, eight months opening junk mail, one year looking for misplaced objects, three years unsuccessfully returning telephone calls, four years doing housework, five years waiting in line, and six years eating. For some of us, those numbers are a little bit different. (laughs) (laughs) Yet at the same time, 107 people die every minute. 6,390 people die every hour. 153,000 people die every day. And 56 million people die every year. Dear friends, the world is counting on you to get them to heaven. Because they don't know how to get there. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, In the year of King Uzziah's death I saw the Lord seated in his place, high and lifted up. And the temple was full of the wide skirts of his robe. Over him were the winged ones. Every one had six wings, two for covering his face, two for covering his feet, and two for flight." And one said in a loud voice to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. All of the earth is full of his glory. And the bases of the door pillars were shaking at the sound of his cry. And the house was full of smoke. Then I said, The curse is on me, and my fate is destruction. For I am a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. Then a winged one came with a burning coal in his hand And after touching my mouth with it He said your lips have been touched And your evil taken away You are made clean And the voice of the Lord came to my ears Saying whom am I to send Who will go for me Then I said here am I Send me I said those words Almost thirty years ago Lord I'll go where you want me to go I don't care at that time in history Albania was the you know most persecuted nation towards Christianity I said God I'll go just send me have you said those words yet you see dear friends you have a birthright God gave it to you it belongs to you it doesn't belong to anybody else that's why they can't take it from you Sometimes the Lord will put things in our heart and we wonder why nobody else can see it. It's because he didn't give it to them. He gave it to you and the day will come that they will see it. But until then, he's trusting it in your care. The late Charles Finney in his book, God's Call, and I'm going to wind this down, he said, how much will you take for that birthright? He said, how much will you accept for your share in Christ? He said, for how much will you sell your soul? He said, at one time, he was sold for 30 pieces of silver, and ever since, the heavens have been raining tears of blood on a guilty world. If you were asked by the devil to set a sum for which you would sell your soul, what would be the price? He goes on to describe a Methodist preacher named Lorenzo Dow, and Mr. Dow traveled over a million miles on horseback preaching the gospel here in the United States. Lorenzo Dow came upon a man on a forest path and he got down off his horse and he said, Sir, do you ever pray? And the man gruffly replied, No! He said, Sir, how much money will you take to never pray? The man said, One dollar! So Lorenzo Dow took out a dollar and gave it to him. Got on his horse and rode away. The man said, The further he went, the worse I fell." He said, I have sold my soul for $1. He said, it must be I have met with the devil for no man would tempt me so. He said, I must repent or I may be damned forever. What's your price tonight? I can't set it for you. I don't know what those future holds for you. I don't know the encounters you're going to have, but I can't set that price for you. Sometimes you wish you could reach down inside yourself, take something out. And put it in someone and do it for them, but you can't. What's your price? People sell out for all kinds of things. Good time. Because they're mad. Offended. Good job. Some will sell out for a man. Some will sell out for a woman. What's your price? I can't set it for you, ladies and gentlemen. I wish I could, but I can't. You have a birthright that God has given to you. It belongs to you. But you can give it away for a price. But what's your price? I want you to get a glimpse of heaven. And I want you to hear the heart of God tonight. For booming from heaven are the words God once branded on your soul. And those words say this, I am not for sale. I am not for sale. God, you know it. I know it. And the devil knows it. I can't do that for you. But you can. What's your price? I know as we get over into the further formalities of the service, it's my prayer that you'll be reminded of that every day of your life. John Wesley said every two weeks he had to completely rededicate his life to the things of God and to the plan of God. But I love the words of the Apostle Paul when he said, I die daily. Oh, the things he faced, the things he refused to sell out for. And he ran the course. And he heard the very words that were spoken at the beginning of this service, Well done, good and faithful servant. You simply did what I asked you to do.